let me pray and we'll look at this text together. So, Father, we do thank you for, um, we thank you that we get to celebrate our freedoms today. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the freedoms that you've given us in Christ. Lord, we thank you that um, in him and because of him, um, we we can come together, we can worship, we can, we can be with um, one another, uh, and that's because of the freedoms that you've given us in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, probably three times in my life I experienced the same thing. Uh, those three times I was in a transition, uh, a major transition in life. Uh, but I experienced the exact same thing three times in this major point of transitions over the last 10 years of my life. Uh, and I found myself, or better, Emmy and I found ourselves facing a situation where we needed a lot of courage in the midst of that transition. So one of them, uh, it's going back quite a ways now, uh, Emmy and I were moving from Chicago to San Diego. Uh, my whole life I'd lived in one place. I'd lived, I'm not kidding, uh, not more than a mile from one road uh, my entire life, from one main road that went from the lake in Chicago all the way out west. It's actually this Route 66, believe it or not. Uh, never lived more than a mile from that Points. And I found myself, um, just about the time I was, I was turning 30, uh, moving to San Diego, to Southern California. And it was a huge move. And I remember I was driving some of our stuff out there. I mean, it was still back in Chicago. And I was just driving a car by myself. And I remember I was probably in, Can or in Nebraska or something, because there's nothing else to think about when you're in Nebraska. <laughs> and I just said, oh my gosh, am I crazy? What am I, what are we doing? I experienced that again uh, a few years later when Emmy and I were on, literally on a plane moving to a country we'd never visited before, uh, to a city we'd barely ever heard of before. And I remember we were on the plane, and I think Emmy and I at about the same time had the same feeling. It's probably the time when they locked the door and they're like, you, you can't go anywhere now. And we looked at each other and we're like, are we crazy? What is wrong with us? What are we doing? And uh, we experienced it again this, this past spring. Um, we'd committed to come here to be part of this church and part of what God's doing here. Uh, and then COVID hit. And it was, it was uh, probably May. And we're starting to pack up our house. And we're like, wait, are we crazy? What's wrong with us? Uh, those are moments that we found ourselves, we needed strength, we needed courage. Uh, we needed that in order to get through. And that's exactly the kind of moment that the hero of our story, Joshua, finds himself all summer long. We're looking at the book of Joshua. And we're trying to learn what is it to be strong and courageous? What does that actually mean? What does that look like to be strong and courageous? And what we've learned so far is that the strength and courage that we read about in the Bible, it's not the stuff of superheroes. It's not the Batmans, the Supermans, the Avengers. It's actually the stuff of everyday faithfulness. That if you want to have courage in the future, you want to have strength in the future, that means today doing the things of everyday faithfulness. And that's how you get there. Uh, put it another way, I said it this way last week, if you're not faithful today, you won't be courageous tomorrow. It won't happen. And so how do you become that faithful person? How do you start making sure today that when the moment for strength and courage comes in the future, you have it? How do you do that? Um, that's what we're going to see in today's passage. We get a glimpse into the life of a person who probably never needed more courage than he did in this moment. We get to look into his life. 
And what we're going to see is how his lifetime of faithfulness actually gave him courage in that moment. Uh, Not only that, we're going to see a pattern for faithfulness that if we follow it, if we incorporate that pattern of faithfulness in our lives today and tomorrow and next week and next month and next year, we'll have all the strength and courage we need when we need it. Uh, So let me try and put it uh, one more way. Courage isn't something that comes upon you in the moment. That's not what courage is. It's something that is cultivated through a lifetime of faithfulness. Um, Just before the sermon, I was reminding us of uh, what we mean here at Christ Church when we talk about renewal and discipleship and what it really looks like to, to root the gospel deep down into your life. And it's through repeatedly daily moving through these four postures of looking up, looking down, being lifted up, and being sent out. And that's actually the outline for today, up, down, up, and out. And uh, just so you know, we're going to spend about half our time, okay, I'm just preparing you now. Half of our time is point one. So when I get done with point one, don't worry, the next three are are pretty short, okay? So just, I don't want you getting nervous that I'm going to go on through the fireworks and hot dogs, okay? We're going to get there together. Um, And the reason I want to spend so much time on the first one is because it's absolutely critical that if we don't get this, we won't get the rest of it. And it's absolutely critical if we don't get what it really means to look up, we won't experience renewal. We've got to start there. Um, and so Joshua in, uh, in chapter 5 and into chapter 6, he moves right through these four postures. And so first he looks up. Now, if you've been following the story of Joshua so far, you'll know that they've just passed through the Jordan River uh, by a miracle. God's done this incredible miracle, just like when they passed through the Red Sea. And then God has them push pause for a minute. Do you remember this? And just stop. And remember everyday faithfulness. He has them go through these, uh, these rituals, these festivals that are supposed to mark their faithfulness to the Lord. So they push pause and they, they do that before they move on. And so now it's time. Okay, I said last week was the moment the eye of the tiger is playing. Now it really is. Now is the time. This is the moment. It's time to fight the first battle. And the first city they come to is Jericho, which is a, sur- a city surrounded by walls. In fact, uh, Ancient scholars think there's probably two walls, an outer wall and an inner wall. Uh, And humanly speaking, this is an impossible city to conquer. And before they go out to do this, Joshua, the text says, Joshua goes near it. Did you see that in verse 13? And the text doesn't tell us what's going through Joshua's head as he gets near Jericho and looks at it. But he's got to be remembering something that happened 40 years before. This isn't the first time Joshua went to Jericho. In the book of Numbers, it tells us about the first time Israel tried to enter into the promised land 40 years before. Uh, and, and at that time, Joshua was near Jericho. Perhaps Joshua was even in Jericho at that time. 40 years before, Moses led Israel right up to the other side of the Jordan River. And before, he, before they went in, he said, OK, I'm going to send out some spies. So he sends out 12 spies to do some recon. And when the 12 spies come back to report what they found, 10 of the 12 say, guys, we can't do this. There are giants living there, and we are like grasshoppers to them. We can't do this. But two of the spies said, no, come on. Well, we can do this. We can do this. And the names of those two spies, Caleb and Joshua. Listen to what Joshua said 40 years before in Numbers chapter 14. 
The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord, catch this phrase because we've heard it, the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of him. But if you read on in Numbers, you find out that they were afraid and they did rebel. And so God promised that none of the adults from that generation would enter into the land. That they would be cursed to wander for 40 years until they all died. And all of them did die except two, Caleb and Joshua. God promised them that because of their faith and their courage that they alone from their generation would get to enter into the land. And this is where we find Joshua now. He's crossed the Jordan. He's entered the land. It's 40 years later. He's an old man, probably something like 80 or 85. And here he is standing near Jericho once again. And the text says he's looking at the city, looking at the walls. And ringing in his ears must have been the words he spoke 40 years before. Do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land. The Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And not only is that probably ringing in his ears, but the words repeated four times in chapter one, just a few days before, not that long before, four times, be strong and courageous. It's got to be swimming around in his head as he's looking at the walls. And here's what we need to notice from all this. Fear is actually rebellion. That's what Joshua said in Numbers 14. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid. A better way of saying that would actually be only do not rebel against the Lord by being afraid. And so fear is actually rebellion. Now, let's be honest, not all fear is rebellion. Uh, being afraid of falling off a mountain while hiking, that's not rebellion. That's normal stuff. Being afraid of spiders, it's kind of weak, but it's not rebellion. Being afraid of sea monsters, totally valid. Okay, but not rebellion. None of that is rebellion. But the fear that leads you to disobey God, the fear that leads you to disobey God because you're afraid of what will happen if you do, that's rebellion. And so in that instance, fear is rebellion. Because what is rebellion? Uh, rebellion is disobedience. If God asks you to do something or to live in a certain way, but you don't do it out of fear, that's rebellion. And as Joshua draws near to Jericho and looks up at the city, he must have had all this swimming in his head. And then look what happens. And I love this. I love it. Because right there in verse 13, what does it say? It says this. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up. He looked up. That's the first posture. That's the first posture of how we daily, faithfully, over and over again, grow as a Christian. Now, I don't want to make too much of that. But that is what he's doing. Let's read it. Uh, verse 13. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And it actually says that Joshua went up to him. It says he went up to him. 
Now, remember, Joshua's 85 years old, and he's standing in enemy territory near an impossible city for him and his fighting men to take, this heavily fortified city. And here Joshua looks up, and he sees a man standing with a drawn sword in his hand. And so the implication there is that the man with the sword is ready for battle. He's armed and ready. And it says, Joshua went up to him. And what that's really saying is Joshua got up in his face. He's already in front of him. He doesn't need to, he's already there. He already sees him. And so when it says he went up to him, it means he went up to him. The 85-year-old man gets up in the face of a soldier who's got a sword out. And look at what Joshua says. He went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Choose. In other words, you can fight me to the death, or you can bow the knee to me and join my arm. doesn't give him any other options. You can choose. You're either for me or against me. And the man says to him, no. Are you for me or against me? He said, neither. Joshua gives him two choices and the man rejects them both. The man says, I'm not the kind of person who is for or against anybody. People are for or against me. That's who Joshua's come up against. Look what he says, the man says in verse 14. But as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. I'm not for or against anybody. I've come. I'm not joining your army and I'm not part of the enemy's army. I'm commander of the Lord's army. In other words, you can join me. You can bow the knee to me. Or you can fight me to the death. That's what he says back to him. And when the man says that, Joshua instantly realizes he's not looking up at just anybody. Because look what happens, verse 14. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? Now, what's really going on here? This isn't just any soldier. This isn't just any old soldier. So, okay, well, maybe it's an angel then. Maybe it's an angel. Joshua asked for a message, and that's what an angel is, right? A messenger. No, he's not, he's not an angel. Not an angel. There's a couple times in the Bible when a person meets an angel, and the person bows down to them, and the angel never lets them, always says, get up. Immediately get up. Back on your feet, because angels are not supposed to be worshipped. There's only one who's worthy of being worshipped. And that's exactly what's happening here when it says Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence. Reverence is another way, an Old Testament way of saying Joshua fell face down in worship. And what the commander of the army of the Lord doesn't do is stop him from that. Instead, look what he says. He says, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. Now, you might have heard that phrase before. It was used uh, earlier on in the Bible when Moses meets God in the burning bush. And so here's what this means. Joshua is not standing in front of any man. He's not standing in front of an angel. He is standing in front of God himself. Take off your shoes. Cleanse yourself because you are in the presence of the holy, in the presence of God himself. Now, wait a minute. 
When Moses met God, he never saw human form. And Moses met God a lot. When Moses met God, he was, God was cloaked in fire or smoke, or if you remember, God covered his face when he passed by. And so what's the difference here? Are you ready for this? You ready? Who is this? This is Jesus. Joshua is meeting Jesus face to face. The commander of the Lord's army is Jesus Christ. And maybe you're saying, okay, hold on, wait a minute. How can that be? Because he wasn't going to be born for like another thousand years. So how is this possible? Well, remember, Jesus Christ is the eternal son of God, existed for all eternity. And there are a few points in the Old Testament where he shows up in human form. You know, Abraham meets him as a priest. Jacob meets him as a, as a wrestler. Daniel's friends, they meet him in a fiery furnace. And Joshua meets him standing outside of Jericho. And there's two things I want us to glean from that. Number one, Joshua meeting God in human form and Abraham and Jacob and all the others. It means that God can and will come in the form of a man to save his people. It's telling us that through the whole Old Testament. And we're going to come back to that idea in a little bit. But secondly, what Joshua experiences here when he meets Jesus Christ face to face is exactly what it is to look up. To have an encounter with the holy, with the transcendent God. And what does he do? He bows down in reverence. In other words, he worships. And here's what this is showing us. And the rest of the Bible proves this out to be true. Worship is the foundational act of all Christian growth. If you are not a worshiping person, you are not a growing Christian. It's the foundational act of all Christian growth, Christian discipleship, Christian saying, whatever, however you want to phrase it, worship is the foundation. And I don't mean singing songs, although that's part of it. Now, if you feel stuck as a Christian, if you feel like you're not growing, if you feel like you've been stagnant, if you feel like it's been dry, Start with worship. That's the foundation. Now, what if you're not an emotional person? What if you're like me, a robot? <laughs> Robots can't worship, can they? Right? What if you don't feel like worshiping? Isn't that inauthentic then? Right? Isn't it inauthentic if you don't feel like it, but you do it? That's inauthentic in our society today. Something To do something I don't feel... Well, I like how Eugene Peterson puts it in the book I referenced last week, Along Obedience in the Same Direction. He put it this way. He said, we live in what one writer has called the age of sensation. We think that if we don't feel something, there could be no authenticity in doing it. But the wisdom of God says something different. That we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker then we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Worship is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. When we obey the command to praise God in worship, our deep essential need to be in relationship with God is nurtured. Now, did you catch that right in the middle? We can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. So here's the point. If you want to unlock your potential for Christian growth, if you want to become a more faithful person, a holier person, 
a more righteous person, more of a servant, more loving, more patient, more kind, any of those things, don't start with kindness. Don't wake up tomorrow and be like, I'm going to be a kind person today and go. You start with worship. You worship the God who's kind. Do you want to become more righteous? You don't wake up and say, I'm going to be righteous today. You wake up and you worship the God who is righteous and holy in all of his ways. We start with worship. Because inevitably, here's what happens when you have an encounter like this. When you look up to worship, when that happens, inevitably, the next thing is you look down or you fall down. And that's what happens to Joshua. He has an encounter with God himself. And what does he do? He falls down. And that's our second point. Now, remember, first point, longest one. Okay. Uh, The next three are shorter. What's the next thing? He looks down. Uh, Years and years ago, I think I've told you guys about a job I used to have when I was in college. I worked in the gym. I know you can tell. And... um, our gym in Chicago was the gym that the NBA teams would use when they played the Chicago Bulls. They'd come and have a practice. Uh, the NBA would hold their annual rookie camp there where all the guys coming out of college would try out. And one year I was, I was working the rookie camp in the summer, and uh, in the schedule there was like a big kind of break in the middle of the day where everyone ate lunch. And uh, I was like, hey, I'm done with lunch, and no one's coming back for another half hour, 45 minutes, so I'm just going to go into the gym and I'll just shoot around. And, you know, I'll work on some of my skills, you know, between the legs and my slam dunking skills, which don't exist. And uh, so I'm in the gym all by myself. There's no, literally no one else in there. Everyone's out to lunch. And uh, I did kind of notice above me, above the hoop that I was playing on, uh, there was somebody very large in stature standing there. But I didn't really pay much attention because I didn't think it would be anyone important because everyone's out to lunch. So I just kept goofing around. And then as everyone came back, I took my ball and I, I looked up to see who the guy was. And uh, the man's name uh, was John Thompson. John Thompson was a legendary coach at Georgetown University for 27 years. He's the first African-American coach to lead uh, a, a team to the NCAA championship. Uh, he won a gold medal uh, as the coach of the Olympics, the Olympic team. He coached players like Patrick Ewing, and Alonzo Mooring, Dikembe Mutombo. These names mean something to some of you, I know. Um, Alan Iverson, AI, he coached AI. Uh, some of the best to ever play the game. And uh, Coach Thompson will go down in the annals of history as one of the greatest basketball coaches of all time. And when I realized that he was watching me, I about melted into the floor. I thought about everything that I did that I know is technically wrong about how I don't keep my elbow in and how I shoot from too low and how my knees are angled in and I can't jump like a normal person. And when I realized he was watching me, I was immediately filled with something that felt like shame. I was immediately aware of all the ways I don't match up to Dikembe. Now, in a small way, this is like the experience that Joshua has as he realizes it. Uh, he's looking up. He's looking up at the Lord. He immediately realizes he's unworthy in front of the one who is worthy of all worship and adoration. He realizes he is unholy because he's now in the presence of the holy. In other words, what does he feel? He feels something like shame. He feels something like guilt. 
And in fact, remember what the man says to him. He says, take off your sandals because the place you're standing is holy ground. And so here's what this shows us. Worship leads us not only to see God as he really is in all of his glory and all of his holiness and all of his power, his wisdom, his knowledge. But it works like a mirror. So when you look at that, it shows you back all the ways that you don't match up. It shows you back all the ways, shows you back who you really are. And in the presence of the holy, we can't help but recognize our own unholiness. In the presence of glory, we can't help but recognize our own ingloriousness. And the result then is confession. The result is submission. And by the way, this is how someone becomes a Christian in the first place. A person becomes a Christian through repentance. No one becomes a Christian by saying to God, hey, are you for me or for my enemies? That's not how you enter in. No one becomes a Christian by saying to God, are you for me or my enemies? In other words, no one ever became a Christian by asking God to submit to them. You have to submit to God. You have to humble yourself before God and repent. And in essence, you say, I need you. I need to submit to you. I repent of all my unrighteousness. And it's when you do that that he gives you his, his righteousness. It's when you do that that he becomes your commander. And now guess what? He fights for you. He holds the sword for you. Now, not only is that the way a person becomes a Christian, but it's actually the only way that we continue to grow as a Christian. And that's why worship is the key, the foundation to all Christian growth. Worship opens us up to confession, to repentance. And notice the absolute change in Joshua's questions. Right? First he says, uh, before he knows who he's talking to, he says, are you for me or against me? That's his first question. Then he realizes who he's talking to. And look what he says in verse 14. What message does my Lord have for his servant? That's complete repentance. From you must serve me to I must serve you. And just like worship isn't a feeling, neither is repentance. It's not feeling sorry for your sin. Repentance is a decision, an act that leads you to become a repentant person. Repentance is a decision to no longer ask God to serve you, but for you to choose to serve God with your whole life, to let him be your commander rather than you trying to command him. And so here's how this works. The more you look up, the more you'll look down. But God never leaves us looking down. For those who are repentant, God always lifts them up. And that's point three, up, down, up. And the way God lifts Joshua up is over in chapter six, verse two. It says, then the Lord said to Joshua, and by the way, this is still the man with the sword, the commander of the Lord's army speaking. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. Now this is really significant. What he says here, I want to make sure that you see this, because did you notice the verb there that's used um, when he says, I have delivered Jericho? It's, uh, I'll nerd out for a minute, Um, that's called present perfect. Not I have delivered in the past, not I will deliver in the future, I have delivered. From God's perspective, Jericho, it's already defeated. All Joshua and Israel have to do is walk in. And if you read the story, actually, all they have to do is walk around, because that's what they do. They walk around the city. And there's a real strangeness to how Joshua and the Israelites take Jericho. And this, 
doesn't happen in any of the other cities they take. They don't walk around it seven times for seven days. Uh, when they take any of the other cities, it's the only one. Uh, this isn't normal warfare. But this one, well, this one is strange because, look again, remember the hearts of the people of Jericho, they're melting in fear. The soldiers, the fighting men, they're afraid. They've all lost their courage. In verse 1, it says they've, they've locked up the gates. No one's coming in and out because they're afraid. And so if ever there was a time to, to charge the city, to knock down the gates, to go flooding in, this was it. But look at what God asked them to do. Verse 3, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the armor will go up. Everyone straight in. In other words, the city is in fear. The king is afraid. The fighting men are cowards. So go for a walk. Do it six days and then blow some trumpets. And on the seventh day, go for seven walks. And after you finish the seventh lap, blow the trumpets really long. And then that's how you'll win. What? And of course, if you read the rest of the chapter, that's exactly what they do. And that's exactly what happens. Now, why this strange way of delivering Jericho? Why not the conventional way with swords? Why tire themselves out by going for long walks? For seven days and a really long one on the seventh and they've done enough walking over the last 40 years we know they're good at it they don't need to prove it again well here's why what did the man with the sword say i have delivered jericho into your hands along with the king and his fighting men in other words the lord fights the battle the lord fights the battle He's the man with the sword. He's the commander of the army of the Lord. And so if God can use his sword to defeat Jericho, then he can use his sword to defeat all the rest of the cities they're going to go and take. That's why this is here. That's why God defeats Jericho in this strange, miraculous way. It's why he appears to Joshua holding a sword. Jericho is the first battle, and God wants to establish for Israel that he really has fulfilled his promise to go with them. Now, remember I said earlier, the fact that Joshua meets Jesus, he meets God in human form, means that God will one day come in human form to save his people. And that's exactly what he does in the person of Jesus Christ. Only this time, when, when, he, comes, when he comes as Jesus Christ, he doesn't hold the sword. This time he, he takes the sword. At the end of his life, Jesus Christ is handed over to his enemies who beat him and mock him and crucified. And yet, as strange as it sounds, that beating, that crucifixion, that taking of the sword is the act that Jesus used to defeat his enemy and our enemy. That's how he defeats the twin enemies of sin and death. Because he took the sword and died, you can be forgiven of all your sin. Because he took the sword and died, you can overcome death. And this is what it means to to really be lifted. This is what it is to be lifted up. In 1 Corinthians 6, it says this. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. That's what it is to be lifted up, to be raised up. Now, if he's willing to do that for you, to use the very same power he used to raise Christ from the dead, to raise you from the dead. 
how much more is he willing to meet you in your daily battles? And so what is it that you're facing? What are you up against? If he raised Jesus Christ from the dead and uses the very same power to raise him from the dead, what can't he handle? What can't he take for you? Well, let's keep following how this works. The way we grow as Christians is through regular faithful actions, through faithfully moving through these postures every day, looking up, looking down, being lifted up, and then finally being sent out. Uh, Point four, verse six. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. So he does it. He obeys. What was the message? Go do this. Okay, he goes and does it. He goes out and does it. In other words, they go out. They go out to the battle in obedience rather than in fear. Remember what we said at the beginning, acting in in fear that comes from what might happen if you obey, that's rebellion. But that's not what Joshua, that's not what Israel does. They go out. And the same principles at work in them Uh, that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians when he says this, and I'm going to read you almost the entire chapter, but after that, a couple more things to say and then we'll be done. So settle in, because I'm going to read you almost the whole chapter of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. But I want you to hear this, because what Paul is talking about is exactly what Joshua and Israel has just walked through, and what they will walk through if you read the rest of the chapter. For God, who said... Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Isn't that exactly what Joshua experienced? The face of Christ. He meets him, the one who's holding the sword. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. They march around the city for seven days. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that his all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Nine times in chapter 6, it mentions that they're supposed to carry the Ark of the Covenant as they walk around. The presence of the Lord and what's in it reminds them of how he saved them from slavery in Egypt. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I have believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. Raise that. All of this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. 
raised up, sent out, so that what happens? More worship happens. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Be strong and courageous. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Every day, faithfulness. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. There's just so much in there. But listen to verse 16 again. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Be strong and courageous. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Faithfulness every day, up, down, up, out, up, down, up, out, day by day by day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So the challenges that you are facing, the difficulties that you are up against, do you know what that's saying? It's saying that those things are actually bringing about the glory of God in you. And so don't turn away from them, but lean into them. So we fix our eyes on what is seen, not on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And let's just put this all back together, up, down, up, out. If you want to be strong and courageous, tomorrow, next month, next year, then today, walk through those four postures. That's how it works. So when you open up your Bible to read it, read it three or four times. The first time, look up. What can you praise God for? The second time, look down. God, what do I need to confess from this? The third time, read it through and say, God, how are you lifting me up? What have you done to lift me up? And then read it one more time and say, God, what do do I need to go and do? How do I need to go and live? Up, down, up, out. Do it every day, faithfully. And if you do that over and over and over again, you will become strong and courageous. That's how you grow. That's how you do it. Now, just so, in case you, you haven't noticed it, it's also how we walk through our worship services. You just see it on here. It says on there, looking up, looking down, lifted up, sent out. That's how you do it. Up, down, up, out. I really can't make it more clear. If you want to be strong, do that every day. Uh, let me pray. Our Father, we, we say thank you that you are the God who came in human form in order to save your people. Please would you meet us in our challenges. Please would you meet us in our trials. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.